0: Um appreciate you all coming out today. Uh, very excited for the word that we have. Uh, again, John 5, 30 through 47. Awesome. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek the will, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I bear witness about myself, My testimony is not true there is another who bears witness about me and I know that that testimony that he bears about me is true you sent to John and he bore witness to the truth not that the testimony that I receive is from man but I say these things so that you may be saved he was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light but The testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself bore witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not know, you do not have his word abiding in you If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words?
1: All right, thanks, man. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. Yeah, hey, if you don't know me, my name is JT. I'm one of the pastors here, and I say Merry Christmas not only because Christmas is, next, is this weekend, but do you realize this, this is actually our Christmas service? Like, I realized it earlier in the week because the way that Christmas fell so late or so early or however you want to look at it, that next Sunday is post-Christmas. So, um, So, Merry Christmas. We're going to be doing our Christmas service today. And so before we jump into that, Um, For those of you that weren't there, last night was cookies and cocoa with Santa, and it was actually awesome, but in a weird way, right? Um, So those of you that went, thank you so much for coming. I bet we had, what, 40 people come? You think anything that's close? 40 adults? bunch of kids like people everywhere um so you guys came out in droves to come and do cookies and cocoa with santa at williams elementary the the elementary that we pour in and i ended up having a really great time and and here was the thing um the community didn't show up like we wanted to wanted them to like they did in the past and we kind of said from the beginning we have no idea how this is going to go with with covid and post-covid and Omicron, the best name ever, for the new variant and everything else was going on. We didn't know if people were going to come, and some people did come. We had a few families that did come, um, and so we wanted more of that, but we kind of said from the beginning, we don't know what's going to happen. We're going to wait and see. We're going to have to kind of rebuild momentum in the neighborhood, and so although we, I think we were all disappointed, more people didn't come, and we had... A lot of food, thanks Eric, and, but um, we had a lot of food. But you know what was awesome? Like, it was the first time I remember in a long time where we all had like, this volunteer opportunity where we were all together, and we were in the New Williams building. Like Most of you, it was the first time you saw it, right? Isn't it amazing? like it's such a great building it's so warm it's so inviting you can just totally picture like they have a big lobby there Us like gathering there and drinking coffee in the lobby area and then it goes right into the gym and the gym's not too big but it's also not too small it's it's just going to be fantastic and so i ended up having like a fantastic night like i was talking to my wife about it like we just had a great night hanging out with our church family and, and meeting a few people, right? And engaging with a few families. And um, we even had people praying with, like there was a, a former addict that was there that's like trying so hard to get off of drugs. And some of our deacons and people got to pray with him and over his family and it was really incredible and they were so excited. So amazing things like that did happen, but it was just so good to be together. Because on Sunday morning, I kind of said this before, on Sunday morning, we kind of get to be a family, but there's always this agenda of preaching and singing and all that stuff. So you you kind of get to talk to people for a minute, Um, but then we kind of do our thing. And then the life group is awesome. Life group is where you really feel family at Freshwater. But again, that's only, you know, 10 to 15 people that you get to know really well and you don't get many chances to engage with everybody else. But last night, like, we all got to just hang out and talk. And I got to talk with people for for long periods of time that I normally just don't get a lot of time to talk to. And I saw everybody doing that. So I had, ended up having a really good time. Because in the end, we want to reach the community. Amen. Yes and amen to that. But if we're healthy as a church, if we're a family as a church, like really striving to be a family, all of the, that stuff is going to get way more effective and way easier because we're in this together and last night even though we didn't get the turnout from the community I felt like everybody was there and we were all in it together and it was just an awesome feeling and to be in the new building and so a man um, the community will come that part will come um, it did in the past I promise you it will again but the community building for us was this huge thing and so I was I kind of walked away pumped last night even though I I didn't think I would because the turnout wasn't great, but I walked away pumped. So thank you for everybody that came out to Cookies and Cocoa last night. Um, We'll have plenty of more things going into next year where we'll engage the community. We'll figure out ways to get the information out there, um, and we'll figure out ways to bring them in. And we'll we'll go to them and bring them in and um, get opportunities to share Jesus Christ with the lost, the broken, the hurting. Um, But thank you for all of those of you that came out last night. And so um, jumping in today, if you were here last week, what I said is normally what we do this time of year, Christmas, is we take a few weeks off of our normal series to do a series on Advent. And if you haven't heard the word Advent before, it's just a Christian way of saying it actually literally means the coming or the arrival. Right, Christmas. It's the time we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, the arrival of Jesus Christ as a man into this world. And so we normally take a break from whatever series we're in to focus on that, but um, as I said last week, we're right now in one of the most Jesus-centric books in all of the Bible, the Gospel of John. It constantly, always, is about Jesus in this book. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna stay with John today. We're gonna stay with just where we were gonna be in the book of John. And I think what you're gonna see today is in a roundabout way, not in a direct way, but in a roundabout way, this this passage absolutely does point to the arrival. It points to the one sent by God the Father on our behalf. It points directly to Jesus being sent, to him coming. Because that's what the Advent is really about, about Christ being sent to us. I even told Dustin ahead of time, he's like, what's the title of your sermon this week? And I said, sent. Jesus was sent. That's what this passage is about, Jesus being sent. So before we jump into John though, I do want to read a bit of the Christmas story together. So grab your Bibles again. If you've got your place marked in John, go left in your Bibles to the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke 1. We're actually going to start kind of before the Christmas story. This is a part of the Christmas story, but we're going to start in Luke chapter one and verse 26, when Gabriel the angel comes to talk to Mary, the mother of Jesus. So flip over to Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and we'll just read that, that section there through verse 38. Luke 1:26. I've got you. I'm waiting. He's still turning. Old school turn, page turning. I love it. I love the sound. Okay. Luke 1 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. departed from her. All right, so we see an angel sent by God to Mary. And you guys know why, right? Look, what he was doing was declaring the good news that, that that it isn't just an angel that's being sent, but the Son of the Most High is coming. God is sending the one who will rule over the throne of David and it, as you if you know your word that's a that's a prophecy a fulfillment of a prophecy that basically every Jew knew from 2nd Samuel 7 as well as other places that that um, that someone would come to rule over the throne of David from the line of David. He said the son will rule over his kingdom forever. That's fulfilling the prophecy that we looked at last week in Isaiah 9. He says that, that Mary, the, the son is going to be born to you, even though you're a virgin. That fulfills a prophecy from Isaiah 9. And she even says, um, you're, you're, your relative elizabeth is going to have a cousin and and to be born to prepare the way for jesus christ john the baptist was going to be born about 6 months before jesus to prepare the way for him which was fulfilling a prophecy in micah about the one who would have the spirit of elijah that would come and prepare the way for christ so just right here we see prophecy after prophecy after prophecy being fulfilled with this angel coming to mary and saying these things are going to happen like this amazing thing of christ being sent And so what what this really amounts to, is what it amounted to for Mary, and what it amounts to for us, is Christmas time is meant to be a time of hope, right? That's why we celebrate the birth of Christ, because we have hope. Hope that, that God actually fulfilled His promises and came for us, and hope that Jesus Christ is going to come again, and God is going to continue to fulfill all of His promises to us. That God came. Hope because God fulfilled so many promises in the birth of Christ, and He's promising so much more. We remember that Christ came to be born as we are born. And I know you know this story. I know you've heard it before. But step back for a second and just think about how crazy that is. We call that the incarnation. God came down and became man not only so that he could save us, but as Hebrew says, so that we would know that we have a high priest, we have a God, we have a leader who understands us in every way, a God that suffered and went through trials and went through difficulties and and was tempted and went through all the things and had joy too, right? And had joy in this world, that experienced the things that we do. That's how much God loves us. That's how much our God wants us to understand him. And so it's frustrating when people say, as kind of a cop-out when there's things hard in scripture to understand, well, we can't really understand God. What? Does scripture teach that we can't really understand God? Is that what it teaches? Now, can we fully understand all that God is? Of course not. He's God and we are not. But God gave us 66 books in the Bible. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He sent his own son so that we could know him. And that's why we stayed with John. That's the whole point of the book, that we would know and believe in Jesus Christ. And this week what we're celebrating is that God literally came down for us, took on weakness so that we might know and believe don't let it grow old church dwell on that marvel on that tonight when you're when you're when you're going to bed or whenever you sit to pray like thank God for this like genuinely thank and praise him that he would come so in the end he could be our true salvation and redemption as crazy as our song said God with us it's amazing so today in our passage it might not be exactly a Christmas story but it is in a way because Jesus' conversation with the religious leaders, this is a continuing conversation he's been having with the religious leaders over Israel, shows just how easily we can shift that hope that Jesus Christ came to give give us, we can shift it and give our hope to the wrong things. And sometimes those things are obviously sinful things, right? Some of us in this room know that we're chasing after, putting our hope in the wrong things, sinful things, worldly things, and we know it, right? But But sometimes, the, the things that we place our ultimate hope in, our ultimate hope, like pin, when I say ultimate, I mean the highest above everything else. We put. Sometimes we place our ultimate hope in good things. In good things. Seemingly good things that in the end actually lead us away from God. Has that ever happened in your life? A good thing like your children, like your family, like wanting a spouse, like wanting certain things in life that are good things become ultimate things, and they can lead us away from God. God sent his son to us so that we could very clearly put our hope and our faith in the right thing, and that through that have life. This is what John says the gospel of John is about, because it's about Jesus. He wants us to know and believe so that we can have what? Where's TJ? The last verse, to know and believe so that we might have what? Life. God wants you to have life. Like life in him. That's joy. That's peace. That's hope. I talk about this a lot, but so often we treat our faith and our God like when we mess up, when we're not enough, when we're not walking in holiness like we should, that God's got his thumb down on us, and he's grinding us in the the ground saying, "Why why aren't you better? Why don't you do better? Which is the opposite of what the Bible teaches, isn't it? It that God wants to give you life in Him, hope, joy, peace, right? That doesn't mean your life is perfect, but God wants so much for you, so much that He sent His Son. That's what I want to celebrate today. And so what we're going to do this Christmas season, this Christmas Sunday, is we're going to talk about the things that um, we're going to see where we might put our hope in the wrong things, so that in the end we might put our hope in the right things, in the right things. That's where we're going today. So look again with me in John chapter 5. Flip back to John chapter 5 and verse 30. We're going to kind of take this in section. So let's look at the first five verses. Let's look at John 30 through 35. And this is a reminder. This is Jesus talking to the religious leaders over Israel. Verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. All right, so Jesus introduced us to all of this last week, if you weren't here, Jesus made it very clear that he does nothing on his own. His authority comes from the, the Father. His, his authority um, comes from the Father. And, and, but when Jesus does things, when he executes his will on earth, it's actually the will of the Father, because he's saying, I know the will of the Father. I perfectly walk in the will of the Father. So when I decide to do things, I am doing the will of the Father. That's a bold statement, right? Jesus is saying he's perfect. He perfectly knows the will of God. He perfectly does everything that God would have him do because him and the Father are one. That's a really bold statement. That's a, that's a statement towards divinity. But then he goes, he goes further, and he calls himself the Son. right? And so he says the Son's judgment, his authorities, his actions are the will of the Father because we're in perfect harmony um, and that he accomplishes the will of the Father. But he also says that I have because of that, I have authority over Judgment like judging people for salvation and judging people in in the end. He says I have I have authority over eternal life I have authority over salvation. He goes as far last week to say Yeah, so much. I have so much authority that if you do not honor me, you can't honor the father You are to honor me you are to give me the same glory that you give the father church make no mistake This is Jesus claiming divinity. He's saying him and the father are one and this is exactly why they wanted to kill him And I said you can imagine if you step back a little bit and took it from the perspective of people who don't believe. Last week I said if people claim to be God, we either heavily medicate them or we lock them up, right? Or we have nothing to do with them. And so Jesus is claiming to have all of the authority that God has. And they freak out so much so that they want to kill him. And so after reminding them of that in this passage, he gets to his main point for today. And that is, you should already know this is true you saying them, you should already know this is true. Why? Because of, the, because of testimony. So today Jesus lays out five things that bear witness, that give testimony to the fact that not only what he's claiming is true, but they should already know it. They should know that this is true. And so the first of the five things that give testimony about who Jesus is, about his deity, that he is actually the son of God is John the Baptist. And so if you remember, we just read it in Luke chapter 1, John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus, was born about six months before him, and he came to prepare the way for the Christ. That's what God chose him to do. Again, that was a prophecy from Micah. He has the spirit of Elijah in him to prepare the way for the Christ. And that's exactly what John did. So people came, if you remember from when we preached on it, people came from all over Israel to hear John preach. To, to hear him teach, to be baptized by him, and then come to be his disciple. John had a bunch of disciples that followed him. He was gaining such a following that the religious leaders actually sent a delegation to him to see what was going on. Because some, lots of people were claiming that John was a prophet. Some were claiming that John was probably the Messiah that had come. So they sent a delegation to hear what was going on. And what Jesus is saying is, you know what, you're right. John was a burning light. He was, he was a burning lamp, he was a light, and that you bathed in that light for a while. Meaning, even some of the religious leaders thought that John might have been a prophet, if nothing else, he preached with a ton of authority, he preached well, he preached scripture, so even some of the leaders were listening to what John had to say. That was, until John said, no, you don't understand Jesus, it's not me, I'm, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the one you're looking for, he is. And not only is he the Messiah, he is the literal son of God. And then they didn't want anything to do with John anymore. Again, this was a fulfillment of a prophecy from over 500 years before Jesus was born in Micah. And Jesus, again, like I said, he affirms to them, yeah, he was a light in the darkness. But there's testimony greater than his. There's testimony greater than his actually John's testimony is the least of all of the testimonies why read in verse 36 again read in verse 36 we'll read through verse 41 John chapter 5 verse 36 says this but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me his voice you have never heard His form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have, there's that word, life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? So in this part of the passage, we get the next three things that, that bear witness about Christ. The first one was John and we get the next three. So what Jesus says to them is, I have a testimony greater than John. Now, is that, is that Jesus knocking John? Because he says, I have a testimony greater than his? No, of course not. You remember what Jesus says about John? He says he's the greatest man ever born of a woman. So he's not knocking John here. He's just saying, the testimony of a man is the least of all of the testimonies that I'm about to give to you, even though John the Baptist should have been enough to convince you. No, so the second thing, John the Baptist was first, but the second thing that gives testimony about Jesus is his own words and actions. Like, listen, his own life. His life bears witness about who he is. You know what's crazy? If you go back and you read the Gospels, is we never see the religious leaders actually ask where Jesus was born. They say he was from Nazareth, which was true, but they they never actually ask where he was born. We never see them ask about his family line. What, what, What family line he came from? The line of David. They never ask. They, they, they virtually ask nothing about him. They just keep making all of these assumptions about him, assumptions about where he ultimately came from, assumptions about his family line because he came from Nazareth, from a family that wasn't important. But if they, would have, if they would have just for one second, just one second laid aside their arrogant pride and actually talked to Jesus, they would have seen that his whole life was a fulfillment of prophecy. Because this Messiah, even though he's from Nazareth, where was the Messiah supposed to be born? Bethlehem, and, and, and his mom was a virgin when she had him, fulfilling prophecy. Like he was from the line of David, fulfilling prophecy. All of this prophecy, his entire life bore witness about who he really is, but they never even asked. They never even asked. Not only that, but the Old Testament is filled with prophecies about how the Messiah is going to bring good news to the poor, that he's going to bring healing to the brokenhearted, that he's going to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God. And Jesus' is teaching, his miracles, his healings, his good works, his love for the poor and the needy and the, broken, the brokenhearted are all loudly proclaiming, screaming about who he is. Yet they're refusing to even acknowledge any of it. Do you know when one of their own, if you remember Nicodemus from John chapter 3, the the religious leader, guy had a lot of influence. It's so bad that at one point Nicodemus suggests, hey, you know what, maybe we should bring Jesus in and question him before we pass judgment on him because that was their own law. Their own law said that's what they were supposed to do. And you know how they responded? So what, are you on Jesus' side now? Are you from Galilee too? Right? They completely shut Nicodemus down when he was just suggesting that they follow the law before they try to condemn someone or bring judgment on someone before they've even talked to him about it. And that's what sin does, isn't it? Sin wants you to join it. People who are locked in their sin, who are just, man, they're just surrounded by their own sin, want you to join in their sin with them, not point out their folly, not point out their foolishness, not point out their sin. Jesus makes clear to them what should have been obvious. My words and my actions declare exactly who I am and that I have been sent. I have been sent by the Father to do his His will. So the second thing that bears witness about Jesus Christ and who he is is his own work, his own words, his own life. The third thing that bears witness about Christ is the Father himself. If you remember, When John baptized Jesus, the heavens opened up, and God the Father, in his voice, actually declared, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So God the Father said it. This is my son. Now, none of these men were probably there. These religious leaders were actually there. There was probably maybe a delegation there at the time, but none of them were there. But of course, they've heard about it. John transitioned everything in his ministry. John, who was really popular in Israel at this time, to declare that Jesus is the Son of God. John was declaring, and his disciples would have been declaring, the heavens opened up. And God himself declared that this is the Son of God. So everybody would have been talking about this. So they should have known. But I don't actually think that's what Jesus is referring, I think he is referring to it, but I don't think it's the thing that he's mostly referring to. I think his point is that you don't walk with my Father and you don't know him, so you don't know me. Otherwise, God would have made this clear to you. He made it clear to the disciples, did he? didn't he? did he? When, when Christ will ask Peter, who am I? He says, you're the Messiah. Did the heavens open up and Peter hear God say, Jesus is the Messiah? No, the Father, through the Holy Spirit, made it clear to him who he is. And we see that happen. Moses literally talked with God. Some of the prophets in the Old Testament literally talked with God. But we see, Jewish, we see Jewish people throughout the Old Testament, at times, the powerful and the weak, the rich and the poor, that God makes things clear to them, either speaking to them or just making it very clear to them through whatever action that, um, what his will is and what he thinks. Yet these men, listen, the spiritual leaders of all of Israel, all of Israel can see and hear and understand None of this. God's not speaking to them. God's not making it clear to them. Why? Well, Jesus tells us because God doesn't truly abide in them. God's love is not rooted in them. And as we'll see in a minute, we're going to cover it. I read it, but we're going to cover it in a minute. We're going to see is these people were out for themselves. They were out for their own glory, not the glory of God. So they can't see it. They can't hear it. Church, I, um, I, I don't think any of us in this room or virtually none of us in this room are going to hear God's audible voice. But if we're placing our hopes in the wrong things, if we're chasing the wrong things, if we have faith in the wrong things, that, that Holy Spirit guiding us is going to be so much more quiet, so much more still, we're not going to be able to hear it. And I don't mean to be too blunt on, on Christmas Day, but it's something I deal with all the time with guys who I'm discipling who are addicted to pornography. Right, God's voice has become so drowned out, so far away, the Holy Spirit's turning them so distant that they can't even figure out who they are anymore, much less move forward in what God wants for them. That's, that's what happens when we put our faith, we put our trust, we put our hope, we put our, our mind and our heart into the wrong things. It just makes us apathetic to what God's will is, and we don't know what He wants for us. We can't move forward. And so we end up so often in that living for our own glory and the things that we want instead of God's, and we're wondering why God doesn't feel near to us. God's always, listen church, if you're a believer in this room, God is always near to you. He never goes anywhere. But when you place your hope in the wrong things, it feels like he's so far away. It feels like he's so far away. That's what this is about, don't put your hope in the wrong things. So the third thing that bears witness about who Christ is, is God himself, is the Father himself. The fourth is scripture. The Word of God. I know Jesus, and the, I know that John calls Jesus the Word of God, right? But this is literally talking about Scripture. And so, if you haven't heard me say this yet, if you haven't been with us in the last few weeks, or heard Brandon, or Tony say this, I just want to make something clear: these religious leaders, they absolutely know their Bibles. They absolutely, some of them probably know their Bibles about as well as anybody in the history of the world have known their Bibles. I know that's a bold statement, right? But this is what the Pharisees did. This is what their little sect, the Pharisees were a sect of religious leaders in Jerusalem, right? And the the thing that they knew better than anybody else was the law. Some of them would have had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. they, They had huge sections of the prophets memorized. Not that they knew it, they memorized it, right? These guys knew their word and Jesus even says it. He says, you search the scriptures. This Greek word for search means to diligently search. Jesus is acknowledging, you did, I know that you diligently searched the Scriptures, yet all of that time invested, all of that memorizing, all of that teaching, all of that declaring what they think is true to the people, Jesus says, even though you do all of that, you don't find life in the Word. You don't find life in Scripture. Why? Why aren't, they, like if they know the Bible that well, if they know the prophecies of what the, who the Christ is supposed to be that well, how are they missing this? Why is it not bringing them life in God? I mean, isn't, isn't reading the Bible kind of at the, the heart of what every good pastor tells you to do? Have you ever heard me tell you that you need to be in your word and you need to read scripture for yourself? Just please sit, shake your head, yes. Or I'm, I don't want to feel like a failure. Yes. Thanks, Scott. Yes. Absolutely. Listen, every sermon we've ever done is rooted in scripture. Isn't it? It is in the word. Isn't it in the word where we find out how we actually learn how to faithfully worship God and follow Him? Doesn't the Word point all those things to it? Listen, if I ever stop preaching the Bible, if any of our pastors ever start preaching the Bible in 10 years from now, if I go off the rails and I start preaching seven ways to feel awesome about yourself, leave the church. I'm telling you right now, you have permission, leave. Run go to a different church, because who cares in the end what I think, what I think will not stand for eternity. I bet if I polled you right now, 91% of you couldn't even really remember my main point from my sermon last week. And it's okay. It's okay, because in the end, who cares what I think? I'm just trying to point you to the Word of God. So yes, the Word is unbelievably important. Yes, we want to know it and memorize it and have it in our hearts. So what's the problem here? Have you ever heard People call seminaries, and if if you're not familiar with that word, seminary is where a lot of pastors and theologians go to study the Word of God, right? That's what a seminary is. You go to study theology there. Have you ever heard someone sarcastically refer to a seminary as a cemetery? You ever heard that joke? Like, as in, hey, you going to cemetery? No, I'm going to seminary. Yeah, that's what I said. That's a joke. Do you know why? Listen, seminaries are a great thing. Praise God for seminaries where people can go and study the Word of God and have men and women teach them the the truths of God. But do you know why some people say that? Because sometimes, maybe far too often, people go away to seminary and they begin to fall fall in love with not God, but their knowledge. They begin to fall in love with their knowledge, with how much more they know than everyone else. And as their prideful knowledge grows, their soul actually begins to wither and die, even though they're studying the Word of God all the time. Because for them, their studies become less and less about God and loving loving God with everything in them, much less about loving their neighbor as their self, much less about encouraging the saints and using what they've learned to go and, and reach the lost and see them saved. But it becomes about what they know and what other people think of them and the glory they get because of how much they know. And they end up knowing a bunch, but they're spiritually dead inside. And so often some of these people, I bet some of you have known people like this, right? Some of these people on the outside look like they have a holy and righteous life. Just like these religious leaders look as if they have a holy and righteous life and they look like they have one but they're dead. And so this great thing, seminary, turned into an ultimate thing that causes their soul to actually wither and die without being connected to the true vine, without being connected to Jesus Christ, to feed their soul. Church, this is what has happened here. These incredibly gifted and knowledgeable people, they're gifted, they're knowledgeable people who, have become so self-righteous in their knowledge, so enamored with their reputation and glory, and the glory they receive, so enraptured in the religious establishment that they get to control that the one that their precious scripture is pointing to, that has been pointing to for uh, over a thousand years, the one they have been waiting for is standing right in front of them, and they can't see it. They can't see it. Their fog of pride has become so thick, so blinding, that the word of God has actually made that fog thicker not burned it away like it's supposed to. How sad is that? These are the leaders of all of Israel, religious leaders, and this is what it's come down to. Just just in case, hear me clearly, church, I'm never gonna stop telling you to read your word. The truth of who God is, the truth of what he has done, the truth of who we are in him, and the truth about when he is going to return and what is gonna happen in the future is found in this book will never tell you to stop reading the Bible because who God is is found right here. But faith in the, listen, faith in the Bible does not save you. Did you hear that? Without context, that could sound dangerous, right? But faith in the Bible does not save you. Listen, your love of knowledge of things in the Bible can't sanctify you. And knowing more than everyone else about what is in this book doesn't save them either. We are saved by faith in Christ and Christ alone. We are saved by his gift of grace to us, freely given, not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done, because he can declare from the cross, it is finished. We are saved by that and that alone, by truly loving our God, making him king, and worshiping him with our life. That's what saves us. Listen, life is not found here. It is found in the Holy Spirit within you. It is found with loving your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's where life's found. Now, if that's true, if your faith is in Christ and in Christ alone, in His saving work, then there is almost nothing more important in your life than the Word of God. Right, the Bible is a tool used by God to reveal to us who He is, to show us how to worship Him, to show us how we can have life through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all found in these pages, but even the Bible, one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given to us, when made an ultimate thing, can become a soul-killing thing. The Bible can become a soul-killing thing when it's made an ultimate thing. These men should have been found in Christ. He's saying you should have life through these pages because you should have life in me. But their reputations and their knowledge and their own glory was more valuable to them than God. So the fourth thing that bears witness about who Christ is, is the scriptures themselves. Let's look at the last one and read the rest of our passage for today. We'll read in verse 45, chapter 5, verse 45. Now, Jesus has just got done saying that he'll judge the world, right? But that, that's the role the Father gave him. But listen, to what he says in verse 40, 45. Do not think I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, How will you believe my words? Jesus shows us here, he even says it here, just how misplaced their hope is, how easily it is for us to misplace our hope. The fifth thing that testifies about Christ is really closely related to the fourth one, to Scripture. Here Christ is telling them, "Um, listen, I don't have to accuse you, Moses accuses you. And when he says that, he's not literally talking like Moses is going to come down spiritually and accuse them, right? When he's talking about Moses accuses you, what is he, what is he saying that is actually accusing them? Anybody know? The law. Good. Yeah, Moses, the law. So if you were with us through our Exodus series, you remember Moses went up on Mount Sinai, right, to spend time with God, and God gave him the Ten Commandments, and then he gave him the rest of the law. We call that the Old Covenant or the Old Testament law. Jesus brought the New Covenant, right, the fulfillment of the law. But he's saying you trust Moses. You trust the law, and I don't have to accuse you because the law accuses you. In the New Testament, it makes it very clear. It's clear in the Old Testament. Even in the New Testament, it makes it very clear that under the law, to actually be righteous, you have to follow the law perfectly. Did you hear that? You can actually be righteous outside of Christ, you just have to follow the law absolutely perfectly your whole life. The only, what's the problem with that? No one has ever followed the law perfectly. No one can ever follow the law perfectly, except who? Jesus, you see, this is why we say Jesus is our righteousness. He was actually righteous under the law. He followed the will of God perfectly that's why when he could go to the cross he not only paid for our sin and took our punishment but he gave us his righteousness he gave us his perfect life so that we could be perfect under the law that we could be fully redeemed that god would look at us as if we were christ as if we were righteous but that's not these men is it they don't have christ covering their sin they don't have christ making them righteous so they may think they're a righteous they're righteous but jesus says i don't even need to accuse you you're accused by moses Moses, who they hold in such high regard. Moses, who they think is the prophet of prophets. Jesus says, he accuses you, for even he spoke of my day. When he says that even he spoke of my day, let me give you one example of that. Dustin, can we get Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen up there? This is what Moses said. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Moses is making a point, yeah, you guys don't listen to me. I may be your leader, but you don't really listen to me, but someday they're gonna raise up a prophet, and he is the one that you actually should listen to. This is just one example of when their beloved Moses speaks of a day that a prophet would come. A prophet of prophets, and to him, you should actually listen, listen to, listen. There is no one greater to the Jewish people than Moses. It's like Abraham, Moses, and David, and everybody else in Jewish culture, right? Moses is right at the top of the list. And these incredibly knowledgeable leaders would have known exactly what Jesus was saying, exactly what he was referencing here. Jesus is plainly telling them that not only does John the Baptist, and my words and actions and my entire life and my father and even the scriptures declare to who I am, but even your precious Moses and the law given to him proclaims the truth about me. Yet you still don't see it. So Jesus finishes with this. If you can't believe the words of Moses and you can't believe the words of Scripture and you can't even hear from the Father, how could you ever believe? How could you ever find life in me? They simply can't see the truth, church, that their hope had already come because their hope had been so badly misplaced in other things.